Welcome to Maniacally Midwest, a true crime podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Maniacally Midwest. We Hello. are coming to you live, finally, from my office. I'm out of the living room, so it's exciting stuff this week. <laughs> uh, we're having a lot of internet issues again, so Thanks, that's Spectrum. fun. Yeah, really somebody at them because they're not, they're not being very kind. No, they are um, not. But... <laughs> This week, Katie is going to be presenting a case for us. Um, So for those of you that are not familiar with our platform, basically each week, one of us picks a true crime based out of the Midwest, and we share it with the other host and then all of you guys. So one person gets to react along with everybody else. We have really no idea about what's involved in the crimes, except for sometimes the place. Yep, and with that, I will take it away. I can hear you. Can you hear me? Okay, yeah. It keeps, like, intermittently, like, freezing the video. Okay. Well, you guys, I apologize in advance. This is my internet, and since the week where it took me, like, six days to be able to upload it, um, it has on and off been going on and off, and... Spectrum is really excited and keeps offering me options to upgrade. And why wouldn't I upgrade from this amazing service that they're already offering? So at this point, I'm about to go back to dial-up, to be real honest. But bear with us. All right. I will hop into it. If there's not a crap ton of reaction from Chloe, it's probably because she is not hearing me in live time. So... Enjoy. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, awesome. Take it away. All right. Myrtle Underwood was born in June of 1874. She later married Clifford Cook and had a baby boy on March 7th, 1911. Unfortunately, this baby did die six days later. Clifford and Myrtle would go on to adopt a girl, Gertrude, who passed away on June 24th, 2020, or 2020, holy crap, no, 2000, my bad. So she lived a decent life, lengthwise. I don't know about the quality of life, but none of my business. (laughs) (laughs) Did not confirm. (laughs) Anyways, Myrtle and Clifford lived in Vinton, Iowa. It's a really small town with a population of just under 5,000 people, but it is often considered to be part of the Cedar Rapids metro area. I didn't find any famous people coming out of this town. I'm sure if I would have opened it up to Cedar Rapids, I would have, but I didn't. Is Cedar Cedar Rapids over towards like the Illinois border? I think so. Is that that way? (laughs) On the map in my head, I'm like that way. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Okay. So... Um, where was I? Myrtle was an active member of the Women's Christian Temperance Union, also known as WCTU. 
The WCTU was founded in 1874, and it was regarded during that time as one of the largest and most influential women's groups of the 19th century. They campaigned for suffrage, labor laws, and prison reform. For those of our listeners who are not familiar with suffrage is, suffrage was like the whole movement where they were trying to get women the right to vote. Um, once the founder of WCTU died, they started to distance themselves from the feminist movement, and they focused pretty heavily on the prohibition. And after the 18th Amendment was passed in 1919, their membership saw a very steady decline. I'm not sure how much of this next part is true, but it appears as though in the earlier years when they were focused mainly on suffrage, uh, one of, not one of the main focuses, uh, alcohol industry was pretty heavily against them. So maybe that's why they decided to swing the opposite direction and then be like, yo, we're done with the feminist stuff. We're coming for you, alcohol. <clears throat> so a little bit about prohibition. Prohibition was passed through the 18th Amendment in 1919, and it was a pretty big conservative push which banned the sale of alcohol. And this push, in their mind, of the people who supported this would alleviate poverty and other societal issues. Um, I do want to point out that the 18th Amendment only outlawed the production, transport, and sale of intoxicating liquors, but didn't actually outlaw the consumption of alcohol. So if you had a huge stockpile, you were fine. You could just get hammered until you were out. Then I guess you'd be a little bit screwed. Yeah, also, I didn't realize that. Yeah. Also, this law was pretty difficult to enforce nationally. Bootlegging and speakeasies became popular in a lot of areas. Eventually, the 21st Amendment was passed in nice. 1933. And... The 21st Amendment actually repealed Prohibition. So it was, I mean, not a long period of time, but a super long period of time to have alcohol banned. So, <clears throat> and this is where Myrtle comes into play. In 1925, she was oh, the president. Boy. Yeah. She was the president of the Benton County WCTU. And in September, she was preparing a speech that she was going to give at a WCTU meeting. But speeches to the masses was not all Homegirl was up to. She had just published a list of names of people that she suspected were rum running, which was another word for bootlegging. And this led to... Oh, I like that phrase. Yeah, this led to a lot of people finding themselves in hot water legally. And it was not really a secret that she was not people's favorite person in the area i mean okay if a person was actually doing it it was illegal but she was releasing a list of suspected people who were doing it and what if it was just her suspicion and there was no fact like she could screw them over big time and they weren't actually yeah. doing it so <laughs> and have, I can like, also back then was that a thing i mean i think that's always been a thing since there was people like talking and writing stuff but i don't know if you've got people coming after you well, for like, rum running yeah i don't know she will we'll come back around to it i do understand i am a rule follower 
even when I hate the rules, I follow the rules and I get super pissy when I see people who are like, I don't like that rule. I'm not going to do it. It's like, well, I don't like it either. You have to follow it too. Then again, we are, we're talking about booze. And while there were people that were in support of the temperance movement, there were also a lot of people against it. And even the people that weren't like into alcohol, they didn't feel like, oh, people should be getting in a bunch of legal trouble for it. Like, this is stupid. So she had a lot of enemies. Um, And to this day, she was sitting near her house's window rehearsing her upcoming speech for the WCTU. Um, She knew Mm -hmm. that what she was doing could be of concern. And she did tell a friend, this work may be the end of me yet. Which, yikers. um, (laughs) Yikers. (laughs) This all happened on the heels of her house getting egged. She believed that there were kids that were hired by bootleggers to to intimidate her. I don't, I think that's kind of a stretch. (laughs) Maybe she was just kind of like a bee a little bit. Why would bootleggers be like, you know what? We want to scare this lady. We're going to egg her out. That'll send her a message. That's like an annoyance. That's not like my life is in danger. So that's kind of a stretch. Definitely. Plus two, the mob was known to be involved in bootlegging. Like, Well, that's what I was just going to say. I feel like the mob had other tactics besides like like, egging. A horse head in your freaking bed or whatever, right? Not like, oh, we'll egg her house. And then if that doesn't work, we're going to toilet paper it. Okay. Chill out. Mm -hmm. So on September 7th, 1925, in addition to Myrtle being at her house practicing this speech, her mother-in-law was upstairs and their house was across the street from a train depot. And there was also a thunderstorm going on that night. So it was like there was noise all the time. There, but despite all the background noise, her mother-in-law could hear her reciting her speech out like out loud. And then she heard a loud thunder-like sound followed by complete silence. And something felt really off to her, so she went downstairs and she found Myrtle lying on the floor, gasping for air and bleeding from her chest. Myrtle would pass away. Oh my god! Myrtle would pass away within the hour. And the cause of her death was a bullet through the front window of her home that she was sitting in front of, and the bullet went right through her heart. So. That's a (laughs) good shot. Oh, my God. Yeah. So I did mention that her membership slash her actions in the WCTU led her to be less than a fan favorite. But her funeral is about to underline a different side of things that probably pointed in not such a great direction as well. Um, The preacher who conducted her funeral service was fully dressed in a white robe and hood. Um, That seems like the opposite of what you would usually wear. um, It's a pretty specific uniform of certain people. And as the procession went to it. Yep. Um, as the procession went towards the Evergreen Cemetery, there will would there were several several clansmen dressed up in their gear, and they lit a cross on fire oh for boy. the graveside service. So, 
again, we have people that listen to us outside of the United States and who maybe are not so familiar with the Ku Klux Klan and or people in the U.S. who maybe don't know the history and the ins and outs of it. So I'll give you a little bit of detail. Um, The Ku Klux Klan, which is also known as the KKK, more commonly in the U.S., was founded in 1865 in Pulaski, Tennessee, by a group of Confederate veterans. So at the end of the Civil War, they called the like next era that followed it the Reconstruction Era. And one of the bigger and more controversial like things and what the KKK had a problem with were the policies that gave rights to the Black population, the people that were previously slaves or if they weren't slaves, had like next to no rights compared to white people. Mm-hmm. Now, this little tidbit is for my mom because her favorite thing is the origin of words. So for the other people that are interested in a linguistic tidbit, uh, the Ku Klux Klan was der- derived from the Greek word cyclos, which means circle, and the Scottish Gaelic word clan. So like circle clan. Which makes sense, like, if you think of, like, an inner circle, they don't want people who are not like them inside. Um, Okay, yeah, no, definitely. And the in-group of people was typically white Christians, males, which is kind of why I was thrown by she's having Klansmen show up at her funeral. Because I don't think, for the most part, especially earlier on, I don't think that women were, like, really... The in-group, but maybe they were just, like, supporting actors, whatever. Well, I would imagine especially, I don't know, but I would imagine that they were probably not huge proponents of, like, the suffrage movement either. I I would think, but maybe they decided that there was the lesser of two evils in this situation and they would go with that as long as the skin color and the religion was right. I don't know. Okay. Yeah. We're not going to deep dive into that. There's no way to get into those people's minds. (laughs) No. But to give you an idea of the extent of how this got like a whole other life of its own, the first Grand Wizard, which is like their – they come up with weird things. I'm saying this and I feel like I sound like an idiot. But there is also like dragons and crap in this to like – I don't – I – I don't know. They were super into Dungeons and Dragons. I don't know what that's all about. But the Grand Wizard was like the big the big guy. I think that that was like the president or whatever. I don't know. Yeah. Anyways, the the first Grand Wizard was a formal a former Confederate general, Nathan Bedford Forrest. And he had actually tried to shut shit down and disband it after he saw how excessively violent the Klan had gotten. So I don't know if initially this was started as like a group therapy session for like former Confederate soldiers. And he was like, whoa, uh, no, thank you. (laughs) So we cannot like something and then not do this. So here is another tidbit because I always wondered what the point of burning the crosses was, because if you're, if you're Christian, why are you burning the symbol of Christianity? That doesn't make sense to me. Um, most people, yeah, at least okay. most Americans, think like white hoods and robes and burning crosses when it's the KKK. That's like the thing you think of. So yeah, this also goes back to the Scottish people. 
In Scotland, the fiery cross, which is called Cran Terra, is basically a symbol to all others in the area, like in their little like militia group, to rally around in defense. Basically a call to action in the area. So like if there is an attack on the community, they burn a cross that like then you know, like come here. We need your help. Instead of like calling out, sending messengers, which kind of makes sense. Um, but knowing that do- kind of does make it more creepy because I feel like in books and movies, I've, I've never seen it personally. They put like a burning cross in some person's yard that they don't like, who's like black or supporting black people and they're mad or whatever. But so basically that's like a symbol of like, yeah, I told my homies about you and we're all going to beat you up or whatever. You know what I mean? If you know the yeah, no, background of it. <clears throat> So, Myrtle is a member of the KKK, um, and there's another level of the dislike towards her. Um, But these factors, both the KKK presence in her life, as well as this whole WCTU thing, drew so much press to the case. And the locals were super pissed. They felt like the national papers tried to, or not the national, the local papers tried to report the facts in this murder that they didn't know who did it. But then they felt like the national ones just wanted, like, something sensational. So they were making it look like, oh, they harbor criminals and Klansmen and all this shit. And they were pissed. So the first lead that the cops followed, an obvious suspect, was Myrtle's husband, Clifford, who at the time was estranged from her. But he did say that he was strange. I was going to ask, where was he at? It's weird because he's estranged from her and let and yet his mom is at their house with her. Mm-hmm. But whatever. Right. That's their family dynamic. So he said that he was stranded in Grundy Center because of a rainstorm and the muddy roads made it impossible to drive, which sounds like a lame excuse, but this is also in nineteen twenty five. So I don't think that it's as dumb as it sounds today. Um, on the yeah. flip side, Clifford was not upfront about a relationship that he had with another woman whom he eventually married. So the police weren't like super convinced by his story because they could tell that he was lying about something. But the at the end of this, Clifford. yeah, at the end of this, a salesman who had been in Grundy Center confirmed that he had seen him in the hotel. So he was cleared of any wrongdoing or suspicion. Now, officially, this case is still unsolved, but there was a John or John, a judge, John W. Tobin, who wrote a book called Tobin's Tales, who devoted an entire chapter to this case. According to him, yeah, in his book, it says Harold Ponder is more than likely the culprit. So Ponder was described by acquaintances as such endearing terms as lame brain dingbat and blabbermouth which i'm like oh those are some midwestern insults and immediately brings me back to it's always sunny where they say frank has a donkey brain (laughs) (laughs) so yes but in (laughs) in actuality ponder had just escaped from the state penitentiary the week before this murder for stealing a car And as soon as he was considered a suspect, 
he disappeared and no one has ever heard from him again. So what? the theory, yeah, the theory is that he had been hired to kill Myrtle, but based on his reputation for like running his mouth all over the place, whoever hired him killed him to ensure that they wouldn't have the finger pointed back to him because it's only a matter of time before this fool then runs his mouth and says that I did it. So yeah, that's that just seems the trigger like a weird guy. Choice for a hitman. I mean, it does. Unless he is looking for cash or whatever. And this is like just before the Great Depression starts. So I don't. But that's only like identifying who some. Yeah, it it only identifies who they think the trigger man was, not what the actual motive. So there are people that think possibly the involvement of the KKK could have been the motive. And. I am skeptical that that's true, and here is why. So after her death and the national coverage that ended up painting Vinton in the light that they harbored bootleggers and KKK, the police were like, yo, you can't have meetings in the public anymore. And the KKK went underground, and then the area claims that shortly after that they left completely, which, sure, okay. But... My point is, is that the area had to be called out for them to have an issue with it that I kind of don't think that, I mean, I guess it could be a disgruntled person who felt like they were on the target of this, but I kind of don't think that as like a community that seemed unbothered by this behavior that happened openly, that that would have been the biggest motive. I think right. that- Right, it doesn't seem like enough. Yeah. The uh, the other thing that I feel like is weird is in my head, I guess I thought the KKK was just a thing that happened in the South, that it wasn't like super active up here. And obviously I'm wrong, but I don't know. I just felt like that was a more Southern thing rather than a Northern, but people said. Yeah. So at that time, at least. The other theory is that someone killed her over the attack on alleged bootleggers. And I think that this probably is way more likely. Like I mentioned, the mob was super involved in bootlegging during the prohibition. And I mean, I know people love to have drinks, so there's that. But probably I wouldn't think that it would be a person who's like, gotta have my beer. It's probably a person that's like, you are standing in the way of me making money. Like, this is my livelihood. I am doing this. They obviously were doing it to make a bunch of money. You can charge more if it's harder to get. So I think that that's probably a lot more motive if it was a person who locally was selling liquor. Or it could have been a person who is distributing it, which could lead back to the mob. And realistically, I think it's more likely that it's the mob, in my personal opinion, because I feel like they would do something like, have a hitman to hit someone and then turn around and be like, you're done. So <clears throat> that is the end of that. Well, not only How- that, but. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I feel like the mob also is better at just like covering things up. Like if they didn't want something to be found out, it's yeah. not going to get found out. I agree. I will say, so this is kind of the end of that. There is no 
answers, which I don't like doing unsolved because of that reason. But um, the people in the area say that the positive change that came out of this is that the attitude towards bootlegging changed because people were like, well, if this had something to do with that, we didn't think that bootleggers should be taken seriously as in punished by the law. But if that brings a whole other element of crime to our community, then we do have a problem with it. So he said that he felt like even though this happened, that was kind of the positive aspect of this murder because people then were like, okay, no, it's not okay. Whereas before they were like, who cares? Leave them alone. So that is my quick little historical murder. And well, I have to say we don't usually end on positive notes from <laughs> murders, so that was new this week. <laughs> no, we Lessons usually learned. don't. And I think that it's important also, I like to hear a murder where the person is unlikable. Not because I like to hear them murdered, because I realized as I said that, that sounds bad. But I think that it's important when we're listening to unlike murder like cases that there really isn't a good thing, like a good victim. Like a lot of the times we hear this person was so loved. They were a great person and that's fantastic. I'm, I'm glad that there's people that remember someone as like, Oh, they were so loved, but there are people where it's like, you know what? Their face was so punchable. I could not stand them, but it still is a crime. So I like to do those or read them or listen to them because I think that uh, murder is serious regardless of who the victim is. And I think that sometimes we forget that and we need to see a victim who plays the right way. You know, sometimes we find a murder victim who was cheating on her husband and people then like try to like slut shame and almost tried to excuse the crime based on the person's behavior. And that's not how it works. There's nothing that you can do that deserves to get you murdered. So. Absolutely. Now we are going into an important topic. Buckle up. In the shower. (laughs) In the shower. In the shower. If you use a bar of soap. Answer us this. Do you take the bar of soap and rub it all over your body to wash yourself that way? Or do you like lather it up in your hands and then rub it all over your body? Because there's a lot of feelings about this. I was looking. I don't remember who posted something on Instagram that I saw that this was a hard-hitting question. And it was almost a 50-50 split. Because the people who do it one way. I feel like. Yeah. What's yours? Well, I was just going to say, I feel like I'm going to just go ahead and say that both of our husbands feel much more strongly about this topic because we're both married to like weirdo clean freaks. And like Katie and I are clean people. Okay. Let's I just got out of the shower (laughs) for the record. (laughs) But. (laughs) these psychos just have a lot of feelings about cleanliness yeah okay so i use liquid soap and a loofah so this doesn't like totally apply to me but i was telling chloe the other day that my husband well 
he does a thing called the squeak test where he will take a shower. And if I'm like walking around upstairs and I hear the shower running, I know when he's close to the end of it because you can like hear him rubbing his skin, which that sounds really disgusting on my microphone, but it's like there, like where it's like wet. And he's like making sure because you're not fully clean unless your skin squeaks because it means that you have like dead skin and stuff. Um, in addition to that, he has a lot of feelings about the bars of soap that are sold in the United States. Um, I mean, he is foreign, but he says that they add too much lotion or perfume or something and that he feels like oily or greasy after a shower. So when we go to Bosnia, we buy a what? crap ton of bar soap to, to make sure that we are up to standard. But that being said, I will say... If I have used a bar of soap, I would put the bar of soap directly on my skin. I wouldn't like lather it and then do that. So, so I'm also a liquid soap person. Okay. <laughs> but I, I think I would directly use the bar too, but I would have to have my own bar of soap because I don't want to share soap well, even like with my husband who I love to death, but I just. That's yeah, different. I mean, I need my own. That that makes sense to me. I wouldn't like go into like someone else's shower and use their like butthole soap on myself directly on my skin. That's what I'm saying. You don't know where that soap has been. It probably needs to go wherever you're putting it, but <laughs> that's yours. <laughs> that's your personal property. Etch your name into the bar of soap. I would say if I went into a stranger's like shower and there was a bar of soap there. Well, not a stranger's, I, a friend's. <laughs> I wouldn't go into a stranger's shower. I'm not just like, hey, I don't know you, but I'm going to use your shower. If I went into a friend, okay. <laughs> if I went into a friend's shower and the only like body cleaning thing was a bar of soap, even if they gave me a washcloth, probably I would use shampoo on my skin for that period. Just out of the fear that that's like butthole or crotch soap. I don't. I don't yeah. need that in my life. No, you have to wing it. So let us know what your vote is. If you're soap directly on skin or if you're a latherer, because I think that it's split pretty 50-50. And usually the other population doesn't know about the other. I know I didn't like think to myself that people are like, like washing your hands kind of a deal, like scrubbing on the soap, scrubbing on yourself. How many times do you have to do yeah. that? It seems like a whole thing, but I, that's a lot of area to cover. I don't know. <clears throat> it really is. So let us know. Send us an email at maniaclymidwest at gmail.com. Comment on our YouTube. Comment on our Instagram. If you need to be anonymous because you are a butthole soap person and you like to use people's butt soap, that's fine. You can direct message us on Instagram or send us an email that says like, Hey, this is anonymous, but this is my favorite thing is knowing that I've used soap that someone's butt has touched. That's fine. We're not here to shame <laughs> you. Do, do what you got to do, <laughs> but follow us on Instagram at maniacally Midwest TikTok. It's the same handle. Check out our YouTube. My daughter still says I'm a freaking loser. So that's cool. And she's home all summer. So every few days she's like, so you don't have 
a thousand followers. Hmm. Maybe you should try something different. And I'm like, okay, it's rude. Help us out, guys. Thanks. But that being said, we are off to enjoy, well, complain about this week's weather. And I'm off off to celebrate my baby's first birthday this weekend. So super stoked for that. And we got a giant bounce house. So I may or may not be dead by next week. No promises. I am into a good trampoline or a good bounce house. Yeah. Mirza will fill in. If I die, I'm sure he'll take it over. Anyways, thanks, guys. We love you. Bye. Bye.